I'm glad I've seen that for the second time because the first time I was a bubbling mess. Um, we'll post the second service online, not the, not the first. But part of the amazing story um, or the amazing um, experience with that is just knowing the stories. You know, if you were there, apart from battling the flying ant swarm, wasn't that fun? It wasn't in the water, by the way. I would rather be cold than bitten by ants. So for those of you who do it, that, thank you. Um, but one of the amazing parts of this was um, just getting the opportunity just to uh, share and to talk to people before they went under. Um, just realizing that some of those stories took a year, a year and a half to make. Having walked with people, some of you may remember a little while ago, we uh, did a, a sermon series and uh, we had uh, John Kreidhoff as the former chief of police in Holland here on the stage and, and uh, he was here with Ish and Ish was a former Latin Kings gang member and leader. And uh, that one, that gets me. Because what we said at the time, you know, a year and a half ago was that uh, John and Ish had, had just developed this relationship where every week they get together and, and it's just truly amazing to see that continue to, through the ups and downs, through the, the battle a person goes through when they've opened the door and allowed chaos to come in, where chaos has reigned and then you allow Jesus in. And honestly, it doesn't always happen that life changes immediately. Sometimes it's a battle. But just being there last week and witnessing uh, Ish just go public with his faith in that way is just a privilege to journey with people like that. And that's just a part of the story. There are so many more. And it just reminds me what God has placed the church in the world for. Did you notice the diversity in that too? Folks, Holland isn't white. Holland is a mixture of the world. And if the world isn't coming to the church, then God has placed the church in the world to go to the world. And if there's one thing I love about Labor Day, what I love about Labor Day, apart from the fact that it's a great holiday weekend, is the fact that it reminds us that fall is coming. And with fall coming, there is going to be a wealth of opportunities for each and every person here to remember what God has placed you in the world for. And it's not just for you to be saved. The power of this is that God has placed the church in the world to take the gospel of Jesus into the world. Paul said in Colossians, I pray that the door of opportunity would open to me. And as we go to God in prayer right now for the message, I'm going to do a message where I really want to encourage you as fall comes, whatever you feel about summer ending, I want to encourage you to embrace the opportunities that are coming to you in this fall season, because they will come. And they will come because if you are a child of God, you have been called by God to take his hope and life into the world, not just for you, but for the world. So won't you join me in going to God in prayer right now as we just pray that God would just inspire us to realize the opportunities are coming and give us the courage to walk through them. Join me in prayer. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for the good news of Jesus whose power was evidently on display last weekend. Father, we thank you that you have called us for a purpose. Yes, Father, we have been saved by grace, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But Father, verse 10 says that 
You have saved us by grace and prepared us for works that you have created in advance for us to do. Father, in other words, you were creating opportunities for us to walk through doors so that your kingdom would extend and your reign and your peace would invade every heart. So, Father, we pray that as we open your word, you would remind us today that that is the purpose for which you've saved us. And we pray, God, that we would uh, just be challenged and encouraged to see that you have created opportunities for us over the next few months. And God, give us the courage to walk through them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Thank you, team. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, Central. And on this uh, holiday weekend, as we kind of say goodbye to summer and gear up for the fall, I, I really do want to encourage you with the idea that God is going to give you opportunities through the next few months and that his purpose for you is to just take hold of the works that he has created and called you to do in advance, Ephesians 2.10. Now, today's message is entitled Doors. And uh, doors are, are an amazing invention, aren't they? But they're only amazing if you use a door. If you never use a door, a door becomes, in a sense, an extended wall. A door is only a door if it's opened. A door is only a door if it's shut. We have trap doors, we have sliding doors, we have connecting doors. Doors mark an entry into one zone and an exit from another one. Doors open, doors shut, doors let some things in, doors are supposed to keep some things out. Doors are powerful. And if you look at the scriptures from beginning to end, the scriptures talk about the power of a door. The scriptures say that when we stand before a door, things change, even our hearts change. The first encounter I had with a door that reminded me of what I've just said was as a teenage boy. We're getting ready in this region for Louis Palau through City Fest to come into Grand Rapids, and uh, through that, many people will encounter a living God. And this happened in Wales too. In in the uh, when I was growing up in my teenage years, the Louis Palau campaign came into Wales, and and we kind of did some door to door stuff. And I did door to door for the first time with a friend of mine called Andrew. It wasn't something I wanted to do. It was still even in Wales at that point in time something that wasn't popular to do. But Andrew and I just felt as teenage boys that we needed to do this. And so we signed up to do this. And and I remember opening the gate on the very first door, thinking, on the very first house, thinking, what on earth have I done? This is stupid. Any of you ever felt like that? Signed up for something and think, why did I do this? Well, I opened the gate and we went to the door and kind of knocked on the door and a woman opened it. And she said, what church are you from? Are you Jehovah's Witnesses? And I thought, oh, this isn't going to go well. And I said, no, we're not. We're from the church around the corner. Which one? I told her the church. And she said, amazing. Brian and Barry go to that church, right? And I've shared with some of you before the amazing adventures of Brian and Barry Carroll. You see, they were eccentric twins. And by eccentric, I mean they were nuts. Ready? Barry used to go around and he used to tell people that uh, Fanny Crosby was probably going to go to hell because she committed bigotry against the brownies. That's the Girl Scouts. They were nuts. So the first door I knock on, the woman says, oh, Brian and Barry go to your church, right? 
I'm thinking, this isn't going to go well. They were an embarrassment to me, quite honestly. You know, you go to church, and Brian would sit, in, sit there, and he would always go like this. Barry would sit by the side of him, seriously, and he would go like this. You sit behind him, you kind of go on like this to see him. We didn't have screens back then. It was the old acetates. You remember that, the overhead projector things? These guys were embarrassing, and as soon as she said this, in my heart, I was like, oh, God, no. But I was standing at the door, and invariably at the door, there's a challenge at the door, and the woman looked at me, and she said, you know, this is the only church I would ever go to because the way this church loves Barry and Brian is an example to us all. See, when you stand at a door and you knock on a door, in the Bible, invariably, there is a challenge that comes, especially to your heart. And that's because doors are access points. When you read of doors in the Bible, they're access points. They allow us to move from one environment to another. Obviously, we understand that physically, but also they allow us to move from one kind of experience to another spiritually. My first encounter with a door was a door that was closed. It was an attitude that was wrong. And through an unsaved woman who opened a door, my heart changed. Doors, they're powerful. Doors. When you look at the Bible, you see a number of doors, doors that are closed that should have stayed closed, those that are, doors that are closed that should be open. I'm gonna lead us to a number of doors today, and as we unlock the secret of each door, we'll discover how in any given moment of our lives, often the next season of our life will boil down to a single question, what are we going to do with the challenge of this door? What are we going to do with the challenge of this door? And that's because doors are access points. They lead us somewhere. Doors aren't supposed to be closed. They're supposed to be opened. And some open doors are supposed to be closed. And invariably, when we face a situation, a door, an experience, a season of life, God says, what are you gonna do with this opportunity? What are you gonna do with this door? Before jumping into a, a specific uh, door, what I want you to do is look at this. I want to define the doors. This is a Psalm of David, Psalm 141 and verse 3. Look at the way that David describes this opportunity, this challenge that he has. He says, set a guard over my mouth. Now, we all know why he would say that. The mouth invariably, when it's used wrongly, gets you into trouble. But look at the way that he expresses this in the second part of the verse. He says, keep watch over the door of my lips. David used the door as a symbol for his mouth. And in this psalm, David has the decision to make about how he's going to respond to a situation, and he talks about that in terms of a door. Now, unlike the modern revolving doors that are ever open and ever shut, David's door, his mouth, is either open or closed. It, it's an access point. It takes him somewhere. 
The mouth, if it's open, will take you somewhere that you should be or invariably lead you somewhere where you shouldn't. And it's very similar to what the doors do in the Bible. The doors are access points. They set the border between one state and another one. You see, on one side of the door, there is a world of peace. There is a world dominated by God's rule, by God's reign, by God's goodness, by God's race. But yet on the other side of other doors, there is a world of chaos, a world of sin, a world of trouble. David realizes that. He realizes that the power of life and death, it is written elsewhere, are in the tongue. And he says, God, close the door of my mouth if you need to. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Doors. I wonder how many of you have this week opened a door that you should have left closed. I wonder how many of you have been frustrated with a person you work with or a member of your family and uh, something was building on the inside of you and you just went there. You went there because you felt you needed to. You opened this door and now you're suffering the consequence for it. The first door in the Bible that we read is, is, in, is in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7, and it's a closed door that should never have been opened. Cain and Abel, God's speaking at this point. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I wonder how many of us this week opened a door that should have remained closed. I wonder how many of us are battling hurts, habits, and hang-ups that lead to behaviors that have dominated our life. I wonder how many of us have successfully for months kind of refrained from doing something, but this week we opened a door that should have stayed shut. And when we do that, what happens in Genesis 4-7 happens in our world too. This is the story of a closed door that should never have been opened. It's the story of a man who was jealous of his brother, angry at God, and he opened a door. And sin, like a predatory beast that it is, jumped in and grabbed Cain's heart. Cain killed his brother, and chaos that was behind the door further gripped that first family. So this is the first door in the Bible. It's a door that's shut, that should never have been opened. And if we're honest, so many of us have done the same thing. We've opened doors that should have stayed closed and now we suffer the consequences. Well, I've got good news for you today. The good news is this. Yes, the first door in the Bible is a closed door that is opened. But guess what? The last door is a closed door that is open too. This is Revelation chapter 3 in verse 20 where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you're here today and your world is engulfed in chaos, your relationships are strained. Your life is unmanageable. 
Chaos seems to rule. The good news is the last door in the Bible is a door where Jesus actually stands. Knocking, waiting for you to open that door because the other side of your world of chaos is actually a world of peace. In the Bible, we call it the kingdom of God. And Jesus calls his church to pray that God's rule and reign would be experienced on earth just as it is in heaven. And for that to be experienced in our lives, all we need to do is to open the door. It's to let Jesus in. And the moment we let Jesus in, everything changes. As you heard me say at the beginning, not immediately, not overnight, but that moment where we open the door and we let Jesus walk through into our worlds, into our lives, into our relationships, where chaos reigned, now peace rules. What's interesting with Revelation chapter 3 in verse 20 is the word that is used for knock. See, in the New Testament, there are at least two words that could be used to describe knocking. And the first thing that we need to do if we want to make the most of any opportunity or allow God to put our chaotic world right is we need to hear his knock. But there are two types of knocks, at least. The first type is described in this way, James chapter 5 and verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. The picture here is of a judge knocking. How do you think a judge knocks? Maybe you've opened a door and chaos rules. Maybe you're battling with issues that you really know you need to uh, propel and repel. And maybe you're here thinking, I hear God knock, but do you hear God knock like that? Because the second type of knock that it could be is described, best described in Songs chapter five and verse two. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my lover is knocking. Do you think a lover knocks like this? When you've opened a door that you should have left closed and chaos rules, the Bible said God loves you too much to leave you where you are. And so Jesus says, I come, I stand at the door and knock. How does he knock? Or? The answer to that question really is driven by how you perceive God. How do you perceive God? Do you perceive him when you wrong him, when you wrong other people as an angry judge? who comes with gavel in hand and thumps on your door? Or do you see him as somebody who loves you so much that he would actually send the king of the universe to seek you even though you lock him out? See, the word that's used is this. It's the soft knock. It's the lover's knock. But all too often, 
when we've opened doors that should have remained closed, our view of God means we don't discern him as someone who comes to us with compassion and kindness, but someone who comes with the word of rebuke and the rod of wrath. Your view of God determines how you hear him knock. C.S. Lewis wrote this, not that I am, I think, in much danger of ceasing to believe in God. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about God. The conclusion I dread is not so there is no God after all, but so this is what God is really like. What is your God really like when you open doors that you should have kept closed? Is he there with a hammer in hand, hammering away at you, or is he there loving you too much to leave you where you are? In Revelation 3.20, it says, Jesus loves you so much that even when you open doors that should have stayed shut, he will come to you and he will knock on the door of your heart until you let him in. It's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe who knocks on our heart when we stumble in areas that we really wish we hadn't. So let me encourage you today, as you enter into this season of life, if, if you've opened doors that should have stayed shut, or as we go through this season and you do open doors that should have stayed shut, let me encourage you to remember that it is the goodness, the kindness, and the mercy of God, Paul says, who brings people to repentance. Never be so ashamed of your sin that you fail to hear God knocking on the door of your heart. Let him in. Welcome him in. And as soon as that happens, what will happen next is that you will begin to hear his voice. I love this passage in John 10. In John 10, we, we read this. The man who enters by the gate or the door is the shepherd of his sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hears his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Now, back in Jesus' day, sheep were kind of kept in, in kind of two places. They would be kept in the towns and uh, they would be kept in the countryside and then the fields. When they were kept in the fields, the shepherd would create a kind of a, a makeshift pen, and uh, he would kind of lay down at the front of the gate, okay, at the, the front there as the gate. And the whole idea here was the shepherd was the one who kept the chaotic world outside away from the sheep. So when the sheep were kept in the fields and in the countryside, that's typically what would happen. The shepherd would either construct or find a place in which the sheep could go, and the shepherd himself would, would kind of lay down in front to protect the sheep. But when the sheep were kept more in the countryside, in kind of more of an urban setting, then what would happen is a group of shepherds would come together at night, bring all of their sheep together, put them in a, a kind of a mixed pen, and then in the morning the shepherd would come, would actually call to the sheep, and his sheep would know his voice, and the, 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 the flock that were once mixed would now be sorted again, every one of them to their own shepherd. 
This is the idea in John chapter 10. That when God comes into our life, we gather this, we grow in this ability to hear his voice. This is the way the passage goes on in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the door for the sheep. All who have come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. How do we get this life? Firstly, by recognizing Jesus just doesn't stand at the door. He is the door. And we open the door of our lives to actually let Jesus in. And when we let Jesus in, we are to grow in our ability to discern his voice. We live in a, in a world of multiple choice. Lots of opinions about everything, lots of voices. I wonder how many of us don't take opportunities that are presented to us because we think that we're not good enough. I wonder how many of us don't step into new areas because we think we'll never amount to much. We've got these voices going around in our mind. How many of us have, have kind of tried to suppress those voices with behaviors that if other people knew them, we would be embarrassed. Voices, we live in a world of multiple choice. Voices telling us so many things. Speak to five Christians about your problem, you're probably gonna get three different answers. But for the Christian, there's only one voice that matters. It's the voice of God. It's the voice of Christ. And if we wanna discern what we're to do with our lives for the opportunities in front of us, we need to hear his voice. Now you may be listening to me thinking, Craig, I'd love to hear God's voice. I'd love to hear God speak. Friends, every time you open the Bible, you put yourself in a position to hear God speak. Now, that's a difficult concept for some of us. And so let me try and explain it like this. Did you know that if you put two clock pendulums on the same wall side by side, they will gradually begin to swing together? Even if they weren't swinging together in the beginning, over time they will actually gradually start to swing together. Now the reason for this is written as follows. They synchronize each other by picking up tiny vibrations that they each transmit through the wall. And any two things that oscillate at about the same interval, if they're physically near each other, will gradually tend to lock in and pulse at exactly the same interval. The commentator goes on, things are lazy. It takes less energy to pulse cooperatively than to pulse in opposition. Can any of you say amen to that? Isn't it true it takes less emotional energy to, to have harmony in the home than it is to have disharmony? When things pulse together, it's a lot easier Physicists, the person say, says, call this beautiful. They call it economical laziness. That's a cool phrase, right? When things pulse together, it's economic laziness. Why? Because they're doing it the easy way. You want the easy way through life, in other words? Listen to God's voice. Or mutual phase locking or entrainment. Never heard of that word before. And then the person goes on to say this, all living beings are oscillators. We vibrate. Amoeba or human, we pulse, we move. 
rhythmically. We change rhythmically. We keep time. Listening, and this is the key point, is not a reaction. It's a connection. I love that. Listening is not a reaction. It's a connection. Listening to a conversation or a story, we don't so much respond as join in. We become part of the action. Guys, how many times has your wife or your kids turned to you and say, you're not listening to me? It happens, right? Wives, how many times has your husband said it to you? Let's just be fair. Why, why do we say that? It's not that we're not physically listening. We are. It's what they're trying to grapple for is this idea that listening isn't a reaction. It's a connection. And when you listen to someone, you're actually entering into a story, not just responding to it. We're actually becoming part of the action, which is why I say over and over again, That it is the function of the Spirit of God to take the will of God in the Word of God and reveal it to the child of God. But that doesn't happen when we read the Bible. That happens when the Bible reads us. And the difference is, are we listening? Is the Bible reading us? Are we listening to what is going on? Are we entering into the story? God doesn't want so much of a reaction. He wants a connection. Because when there's a connection, guess what happens? What happens to those two clocks on the wall happens in our own lives too. We start to sink. Our movement starts to sink with God's movement. Our thoughts start to sink with God's thoughts. Our lives start to sink with God's life. Our desires start to sink with God's desires. This is what happened when we listen. And can I suggest to you that one of the reasons why we don't hear God speak is that every morning, or for some of us, not so frequently, we pick up our Bible and we try to read it. Let me encourage you this week. Try to listen to it. Because when we listen to it, we start to change. That's why Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, says this. Don't be drunk on wine, as some are in the habit of doing, but be filled by means of the Holy Spirit. What's, what's Paul saying there? Why the comparison there between wine and, and the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit? And the answer is, if you've ever seen anyone who has ever been drunk, is it not true that their speech and their behavior changes? Right? The alcoholic spirit now controls their speech and controls their movement. Things change. And Paul says when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, what is happening is there is a connection at the deepest source of their life between them and God. And when that happens, their speech changes and their behavior changes. The mark of listening to God is actually that our speech and our behavior changes. That's why having said to people, hey, commanded them, be filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul then goes on to talk about and give examples of speech and behavior change. If we want to enter into this new season that God has for us, taking hold of opportunities, opening doors that need to be opened, keeping doors closed that need to be closed. We don't just need to hear his knock. 
We need to hear his voice. But how can we hear his voice if we don't open the Bible? And how can we hear his voice and sync with him if we're only ever reading the Bible to feed our minds, not to nourish our souls? One of the greatest things for me in the baptism last week was a guy by the name of Carl. And as uh, he was walking out, we were doing the baptism on the other side. I said, Carl, uh, tell me, what was the main motivator for you doing this? And he said, Pastor, I've been a Christian for a long time. And he said, I was someone who tried to do what is right and tried to be a good example for Jesus. But you remember that day he said when you just said, hey, guys, can I ask you to do something? Just close your Bibles for a moment. And I said, yeah. And he said, and then you said you wanted to talk to us as a pastor, not as a, as a teacher. And you just shared with us how many of us are, are not reading our Bible. And he said, in that moment, it was as if God spoke straight to me. And he said, Carl, this is you. Carl, this is you. And he said, Pastor, from that moment on, I committed not just to open my Bible and read it. I asked for God to read me as I read it. And in that moment, my life changed. Tears in his eyes, even before we went down in the water. Pastor, my life changed. I can tell you now, I know God more deeply now than I've ever known him. Folks, you know what happened in that moment? He started to listen. And listening isn't a reaction, it's a connection. And I want to suggest to you that the reason for many of us that our faith is so, so impotent, that our relationship with God is so boring and so dead, isn't because we're not reading the Bible. It's because the Bible isn't reading us. We're not listening. There isn't that deep connection. Because when there's the connection, speech and action line up. And in order for us to take the most of the opportunities that's there for us over the next few months, we not only have to hear God knock, we have to listen to his voice. And when we do that, words and deeds start to align in such a way that God will lead us to a door. And when he does, this is what God is saying. Walk through it. Walk through it. This is where I started with Paul. Really convicted me over the last few weeks. Paul says this, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. Now, that, that doesn't seem so unique, right? What is so unusual about an evangelist, okay, like Paul, asking for the church to pray that he would get an opportunity to evangelize? Is that unique? It's, it's not that unique. It's not that surprising. Unless we think about this from the perspective of who Paul once was. Paul was once an ardent Pharisee, someone who persecuted the church, someone who stood there holding the cloaks while Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was murdered. And if we read this verse, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, we suddenly realize the reason God knocks on the doors of our heart, the reason God speaks to us isn't simply to get us right with him. If the sole purpose of the cross was for me to be right with God, if the sole purpose of the cross is for Paul to be right with God, why does Paul need to share the gospel anyway? 
Why, why does Paul need to do it? See, what we, what we understand when we recognize that Paul is praying for the Colossians, asking the Colossians to pray for him, as he, that he would have an opportunity, that a door would open to take the message into the world, is that Paul is essentially saying, listen, the salvation that I've received, this mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains, was given not just for me, but when I hear God knock, when I hear God speak, God is planting me, transporting me, transplanting me into a new community where he is inviting me to become a part of this project of putting the world to right. Paul wants to preach the gospel not simply because the gospel puts broken people right with the holy God. And church, it does do that. But great door decisions happen when I hear God knocking at the door of my life and I recognize that this door that God wants me to walk through is not just about me. This door is about the rest of the world. See, seen in the context of who Paul was, this petition to the Colossian church suggests that the gospel is necessary because when I'm put right, when the chaos that's come into my life because I've opened doors that should have remained closed, I dealt with, when I'm put right, I can become part of God's plan to put the world right. And you see, when I'm put right, the anger on the inside of me dies, the frustration, the resentment, the jealousy, the bitterness, the rage, the violence, it's put right. Racism fades from sight, at least in my part of the world it does. But God's vision is bigger than me. God's vision is for Paul's experience to become the experience of so many other people in the world. And so Paul prays for the gospel to go into the world through him. And you see, the, God, the reason that God is going to lead you to doors of opportunity this fall isn't just for you. It's for the world. The mission of the church is not simply about putting us right with God, but about getting us into a new community called the church, where this community is willing to demonstrate to the world how community should be lived and so often isn't. And it's about mobilizing that community to go into the very world that God created and become the hands and feet of Jesus to it. There are so many opportunities that are available to us out there. There are so many doors that are open to you and to me. But great door decisions are basically made when we take the courage to walk through an open door. And we'll do that when we recognize this door isn't just for me, this door is for the world. Now in a couple of weeks, September 17th, we are getting ready to launch the third year of Celebrate Recovery at Central. And it's hard for me to believe that we're getting into the third year of this already. And I'm mindful about how this happened. God started stirring, knocking on the hearts of, of a number of individuals in our church. My wife was one of them. And then those knocks became a clear method through which God spoke. And this group of people, small group of people, got together and they started to pray and they planned and they trained for over a year before they launched two years ago. Why did they do that? They sensed an open door. They sensed there was a door, not just for them, but there was a door for the world. 
And again, those of you who were there at baptism, at the baptism last weekend, would have heard a number of people talk about Celebrate Recovery, how their lives have changed. In fact, you people were here last week and you heard the the lady here talk about how through Celebrate Recovery, she's now got a year of sobriety behind her that she didn't have before. See, God knocked on the heart of a group of people, spoke to them, and said, walk through this door, not for them, but for the world. And what happened? Lives changed. Literally. Lives have been saved. Literally. And all of that happened because a handful of people decided to walk through an open door. And as a result of that obedience, more people have been grafted into God's work of setting the world to right one imperfect person at a time. Now, I I know that not everybody here is called to serve at Celebrate Recovery, and I know that not everyone here is called to start a ministry. But I do know this, if you're a child of God, then you are gonna hear God knock. You do have the opportunity to listen to his voice, and if you do, at some point over the next few months, he's gonna take you to a door. And in that moment, your future, and maybe somebody else's eternity will be determined by what you're going to do with that door. Now, some of your open doors are gonna be a home. Some of your open doors are gonna be at work. Some of your open doors are gonna be at school. Some of you will have open doors available to you in your neighborhood as you invest in friendships and people. Some of your open doors will be in this town. Others of you, your open doors will be around this nation and the world as you just do what you do. Let me encourage you, whatever door opens to you, walk through it, walk through it. Don't ignore the open door. Don't ignore the opportunities that God is giving you to impact this world for Jesus. And church, if we do that, then at the end of this year, more people will be a part of God's putting the world to right project than they were right now. Micah said it a few weeks ago. The missional God has a church in the world. It is not that the church has a mission. It is the missional God has a church for the world. And the church is you and me. And the power of a church, and the power of a church like Central, is not what we do in here on a Sunday morning. It's about what we do when we leave here, when we walk through those doors. So let me encourage you. God loves you too much to leave you where you are right now. But God loves the world too much to keep us all in here. And what I want you to do in this season is say, God, help me discern your knock. Help me hear your voice. And as I connect with you, may my speech, may my actions sync with the heart of Christ for the world. And God, when I come to a door where there's opportunity, give me the courage to walk through it. In Jesus' name. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for the summer that was, and we thank you for the fall that will be. And we stand on the promise of Ephesians 2.10. For we are your workmanship, called to you and created for the works that you have ordained. 
Father, that means that each and every one of us are going to have opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus over the next few months. We've been saved not simply for ourselves, we've been saved for the world. God, over these months, won't you just reaffirm that calling on each of our hearts? And as we leave this place today, may we, Father, experience the joy and the privilege of being found in Christ and loved by this Christ, pursued by this Christ, and won by this Christ. Father, we thank you that you demonstrated your love for us in that even though we were so far off, Christ died for us. Thank you for this love. Thank you for a love that keeps coming back over and over again, a love that seeks us and a love that keeps knocking on the doors of our heart until we let you in. Father, may we continue to let you in. And as you do that, Father, may we hear you speak and become more like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.